0: Hello, I'm Stuart from Blurred, and after a little hiatus, this is the latest episode of Do Not Adjust Your Focus, our podcast in which I get to talk to more interesting people than myself about what's going on in the changing world around us. Today, I am joined virtually by Druti Shah, award-winning journalist for the likes of the BBC, and author of what I think is one of this year's most joyously unique books, which we'll definitely talk about imminently. Druti thanks for being here on this magnificent zoom call
1: thank you for having me (laughs) the the wonders Um, of technology eh (laughs) the
0: wonders of technology indeed now I I want to start by talking to you about um this historic eventful year as, as you're a journalist and one of the the big stories of 2020 um it's not Brexit it's not the US election it's not even Covid what what a a roll call of stories this, that we could have choose from um, for this year. But now I want to talk about um, Black Lives Matter and, and what I think was just this incredible awakening across the world about not just the urgent need for equality and justice, but but about something perhaps simpler and, and, and just as profound, which is the, the necessity of humbly listening to other perspectives minority perspectives listening and and trying to understand a a different viewpoint which may not come from a a starting point of privilege and the reason why is because the last time you and i spoke you said to me uh semi-jokingly that you you probably have more minority identities than anyone else around so i'm keen to just hear your experience of living the the reality of of one or many minority labels in in britain
1: See, on one hand, um, it's jest. On the other hand, it is actually correct. Um, And for me, in terms of my identity, so I'm a Jain, that's J-A-Y-N, and that's my faith. Um, And that's um, a minority religion, a minority sect, um, some would say, because the numbers are so small. And it's a very peaceful religion. It's um, all about believing in teachers, um, one of whom is Buddha, actually. So that would hopefully give an insight to people who aren't familiar with the faith. And it's all about um, trying to leave a, trying to lead even a more peaceful life um there aren't as I said that many Janes around um I come across the mainly at community events when I'm at work or when I'm in any other sort of sphere it's um you try and sort of guess whether someone is by their surname because that tends to give you a bit of an identifier and even then it doesn't always work like for example my surname is Shah and a lot of people think that I'm not Jane but um I'm Muslim by origin I mean I could be agnostic I could be atheist it, it's whatever so it's it's useful trying to find uh markers signals as it were um I I'm working class um I mean I'm very middle class now I work at the BBC let's let's face it I um I went to Oxford but it's that whole sort of coming from a working class background and then having to try and figure out how to to be more socially mobile in order to sort of achieve dreams that you want for me I always wanted to be a journalist since I was eight so that actually in a way helped me carve my way up because I had a goal Um, But, yeah, I'm, you know, one of the few Janes at the BBC. I'm one of the few. There's not that many ethnic minorities. Um, I will say, though, that there are fewer black people than there are brown people. Um, And I think that's really important to acknowledge. Um, I went to Oxford University again. You know, you always hear the news headlines. There's there's not that many of us, Um, you know, state school educated. So all of that, there there are loads of different elements in terms of the identity. And it's using. And being aware of that and being able to sort of um, navigate life, as it were, much like we all all are, but with maybe a lesser degree of privilege or trying to, trying to gain elements of privilege. Um, but that's not to say that I'm not privileged now. I definitely have a lot more privilege right. than lots of other people. I have more privilege than working-class white boys. Um, you know, I have to accept that. Um, and I think, on one hand, you don't want to acknowledge it because you think, oh, no, it's all the same. Everything's fine. Um, you know, we'll all be treated on merit and that's just not the realities of of life and i think especially this year conversations which have always been rumbling have become more prominent and people perhaps are more willing to listen because of the fact that they're becoming more prominent um, what
0: what do you make of that that change that this year do you, do you do you feel similarly that it's it is a it is a kind of profound shift or or do you worry that it it you know it it could fade away and we could kind of um find ourselves back you know back where we started in, in another 12 months or do you think this is this is here to stay and this is a, a process obviously that will carry on carry on moving forward
1: i would hope that you know anything that results in people listening to each other would be here to stay um I, clearly you do have you know if you think of like sort of mountaintops and, and valleys you always ha- have that in any aspect of life um and things get in the way you know there was uh, the challenge around Black Lives Matter, uh, the conversations happening, pandemic is also happening in the, in, in the foreground. So, you, you know, things are shifting up and down, up and down between what hits the headlines, what conversations are happening. Um, what would be really good to have is where you have less of those areas where it's a safe space for people from ethnic minorities to go to. Instead, instead of having, here are spaces for you to talk, everywhere should be a safe space for for having discussions and I think that's really important that's really interesting to see where that conversation goes I do think you'll always have pockets and there will be places where there will be conversations and and um, dynamics which not everybody will be able to partake in but again I think that's life and um, if that can continue that people will be willing to listen to to the to it's not even another side just be willing to hear different perspectives that would be so so good that means you know people's my journalism it was always about trying to make people think differently yeah and and that's exactly what we want with you know conversations around color around race around um religion you know around everything that affects people's identities
0: and i think that's been the for a long time the biggest hurdle hasn't it that ability to genuinely walk in someone else's shoes and stop and take the time to 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 recognize that you don't share that perspective and you can't understand it maybe um, immediately and actually maybe not ever but you can go some way to 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 learning about it and it feels like this year um there's been a broader recognition of what's required to do that the need to step back and and just be quiet and, and and listen um and properly listen and hear hear what the other side is saying do, do, do you agree with that?
1: I think you're completely right there. I do think, I mean, one of the challenges that I often think about um, is resources. You know, we're talking about time here. Often people are very time poor, to be perfectly frank with you, even to sort of look at the news industry, you know, it's shrinking. Um, you know, there have been so many different, lay- there have been lots of layoffs. Um, it's it's changing. The landscape itself is changing, but it's very confusing to see, you know, what is the next step? And, and yet, within the news industry, you know, often people use that as as their first um, their first window on the world, as it were, like in terms of, you know, who, what do they have time for in terms of reading? What does that mean that they'll have time to read a different perspective? Well, you know, if they're reading from the uh, the left side of um, politics, will they then go and make the time to read from the right side of politics? Will they read from the, the grey areas as well? Well, can they if they're that time poor, if there's, you know, so much sort of pressure? from you know, work life, home life, admin life, that, if I'm honest with you, i probably spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and I can't say I've got answers for it because I don't. I don't have any solutions. It's the sort of thing that I think huge communities have to get together to figure out. If you want, like, a longer-term solution in terms of those conversations, you do need to look at resource.
0: How, how have you seen this dynamic play out across the media? Because obviously that's, that's where you work and spend most of your time. Um, i I wondered uh, this, uh, this sense that we um, you know on the one hand we want to take a step back and listen to one another um more and yet on the other hand it feels like uh, i'm going to I'm going to quote uh, jo Swinson something she said um, before the last election where she, she worried that we've lost the art of disagreeing well which I, I always remember that that line because it, it just really struck me and I wondered if you've seen this, um, in the day job so to speak interview subjects or guests on tv shows they they often seem more entrenched and immovable in their views than ever and have have we lost the ability to talk and to listen or are we or are we or are we getting better at it and i can't quite make up my mind
1: i think that's a really hard question to answer because of the fact it's it's there's on one hand we've got lots of po- uh, polarity going on um but it depends on where you're going like if you go to twitter that's yeah. a lot of shouting, you know, and yeah, if you go to perhaps Facebook groups, because um, I, mine, mine is a social beat, so I'll use these examples, you know, if you, depends on where you go in terms of those Facebook groups, it can be quite engaged. Some people are like, oh, I need to delete Facebook, don't be on it, it's really bad. It, you know, it is what it is. Um, but for others, it's a lifeline where they need to go, especially in these pandemic times, where they need to go and have conversations, where they need to go and speak to their, uh, their neighbourhoods, their communities, and, and the only way to do so is, is through Facebook, as it were. Um, but then you'll go there and there will be people that, you know, the conversations that are happening, would they say the things that they're willing to say online behind mm. a, a, um, a screen? They really say that in real life. And that's really interesting to, to to look at. I always find it fascinating when people do, um, especially journalists, when they go and speak to the trolls, as it were, yeah. And say, actually, what what made you do this? What's happening? And then you see that these people, there's nothing, they're like anybody else. Yeah. They just seem to go that one step further because something's triggering them, or because something, you know, there is that sort of element of anonymity through. Through the screen, um, I find that very, very interesting in terms of like the art of disagreeing well and the art of listening. I, when I, I've been thinking about this a lot, I am a trained reporter in terms of you know I went to journalism school in in Newcastle many many moons ago. Um, I went from a cub to being an acting news editor in local papers. Not everybody goes through those routes anymore in terms of the people who are in charge of I guess communicating and contextualizing the stories that are going on. And I think that's really interesting coming from my perspective as a trained reporter, because one of the things that we learned so this is like a, good, um, a long time ago, <laughs> without <laughs> showing my age, but one of the things we learned in our first weeks doing this training, um, and it would have been with PA or Trinity Mirror. And I, I met all my other cub reporters, you know, we'd never met each other before. Um, we sat down and one of the exercises was about Chinese whispers. Right. And it was about, you know, you're going to sit here, you know, two new people that you've never met before, because we're just a new class together, uh, sit either side of you. And we're going to take a a little story and let's see how it disseminates. Let's see how far it actually goes before it completely loses what it was in the first place. And that exercise, if we're talking about the art of listening and we're talking about, you know, us in a, a social world. This was clearly pre a social world, so I am clearly showing my age here. Um, the art of listening. I think that's really useful. That people forget that that little game, that little game of Chinese whispers, and actually how important it is as a as a social tool, as a as a as a tool that equips us to to be able to tackle uh, misinformation, disinformation, and again, that's important because when you're disagreeing, you should be disagreeing with facts I think it's important to have conversation and disagree I think it's really important for people not to constantly be on the same side because then you're in a very very unusual place you know people not everybody is the same and everybody comes with their own you know subjectivity um clearly as a BBC journalist I have to I have to be very careful and, and have due impartiality as you'll see but that in itself is you know you can't take that away that I won't have my own uh, lived experiences that I will be bringing forth with me that you
0: bring to your storytelling yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, you mentioned social media. Um, has it? Do you think it's accelerated the process of people picking a side? Has it made? It, it, I mean, it feels like it's made tribalism a lot, a lot, um, a lot more uh, prevalent in in our kind of public discourse. And has that made journalism harder or or easier?
1: both (laughs) it's again you ask these difficult questions because I mean you know it's it's really hard because on one hand you're looking for communities and you're looking for groups and you are looking for tribes as it were people who have um, connections and similarities so that you're not just uh, working in a vacuum yeah. because if you rely on 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 the observation of the conversation of one person without contextualizing i think you're in dangerous territory you know you need to see how how uh how prevalent is this viewpoint but at the same time you don't want group speak because that in itself is also dangerous so you need to sort of be aware of what you know the skepticism. Um, and you need to be, again, aware of other perspectives. And I think tribalism, on one hand, is amazing because it is bringing communities together, especially in isolated times. And I definitely do think that uh, definitely pandemic, even pre-pandemic, we you know we are in times of loneliness. We are in times where uh, community connections are broken. Hmm. Um, and that's where social does play a really, really strong part in terms of bringing people together. But at the same time, you're bringing people together who might not have ever met each other
0: and and you and you're bringing people together on around potentially kind of the extreme ends of of a particular issue right because I, I i worry that i'm i'm not a journalist and i've never worked in journalism but it observing it it, it feels like it's very easy to go and you know dip your uh, your litmus paper in one, one, one end of the spectrum over here and you get you know quite a strong a strong view from this person or this tribe, and it's very easy to go and and, and get the opposite view, um, and there you've got a nice story of contrast, right? But it's but it's you're missing the whole massive middle, which is the majority of people in Britain um, or the world, where, wherever you're reporting from. And I, 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 but I don't know if that's I don't know if you if, if you agree with that, if you think that's the case, if you if you think that's something that journalists have to watch out for, that they're you know but you miss think- the middle ground. <laughs>
1: No, but I'm really glad that you said that, because I think that, you know, there's a lot of conversations happening right now about, like, what is journalism? What do we actually do? The fact is that anybody can have a Twitter account or yeah. a or a, um, a YouTube or or vlog or whatever, which they can, and that's where that phrase, citizen journalism, comes into play, where people, you know, are, being, are going out, they've got their camera, and they're like, I'm telling you what's going on. I'm reporting. Yeah, you are reporting. I think the difference is, and where you do need to have, um, uh, you know, organizations including the bbc including including public um, state broadcasters including newspapers including like the times the guardian you know on all ends of the spectrum is the contextualizing yeah and i think that's really important because sometimes when you have journalists thinking what is journalism nowadays and there are a lot of conversations going on you know reuters institute um at oxford they look at the future of journalism and the landscape right now There, are you know uh pointers like, uh, pointers in the u.s there's lots and lots of different conversations that i think is really interesting in terms of People, yes, anybody can pick up a camera, but what a journalist does is contextualize and their role is to observe and step back and bring those pieces, bring those uh, the opposing views together, which they can, but then uh, weave their way throughout and provide different elements. You do not get that necessarily with a vlogger or with a citizen journalist or someone just picking up a camera saying, oh, I'm going to do that. And that comes from training that comes from experience that comes from uh, reading. A lot. yeah
0: and you can never replace that that training that 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 rigor to it right so i mean that's something that we need to cherish and protect and and i guess one of the other the other crucial roles is is the fact checking one um because one of the biggest challenges facing all of us and and particularly journalism as a as a profession is is the rise of fake news um and the need to stand out against a flood of clickbaity headlines that you know make claim x and it will get it will get lots of clicks and and eyeballs but
1: yeah but that's been going on for ages pay
0: less attention to the truth
1: the thing is that has been going on for. so i actually wrote a piece about snopes so you know and snopes is one of um snopes has been around for 26 years so that's a long time that long yeah the piece i did was an anniversary piece but they've been around for 26 years and i did not know that um yeah and you know they are at the end, you know, they are a doyen of of, uh, of fact checking and of um and you know, they have their own challenges and they have their own issues. I'm not gonna be like, oh Snopes is you know. Beyond end but it is a, a definitive reference point for many many people we ourselves at the bbc when i when people talk about disinformation and misinformation because again people have issues with the concept of fake news and what actually is it you know within uh within that itself there are various different strands you know you've got the propaganda you've got the propaganda you've got yeah. the intent you've got people's sharing information which um they're sharing but with good intention as well. Are we were? perhaps
0: over worried about it uh, because I, no. it's, it's really interesting because it's been around you're, you're right it's been around forever I mean there's always been disinformation there's always been propaganda maybe we're better equipped to discern between what is propaganda and not now and we're, we're over worrying about fake news.
1: I wouldn't say we're over worrying it's good. about media literacy I think right. it's that's the that's the key thing and I think that's where there's, there's definitely a lot more emphasis now and you definitely have um I mean, I will take the BBC because I've done bits for them where they have, like, um, young reporter, they have school reporter where they have a real news project, they send journalists into schools um, and they they help teach about uh, media literacy and fake, I say fake news, but like I said, there is conversations about whether that's even the best term to use right now. You have, uh, you know, full fact, you have lots of different fact checkers around. And the key thing, I I think, though, is getting... I'm not going to say young people, to be honest with you, because I think old people are also a a challenge. It's getting everybody to be far more aware of the fact that you cannot just take something at face value and especially on the Internet, because you don't know where it's come from um, and you don't know who's behind it. So, yes, you could be like, oh, that's really funny, something very innocuous could actually have a significant history behind it in order to get it into your feeds but again that's why it's being aware that just because it's on the internet doesn't necessarily mean it's it's true uh what you need to do is be able to try and verify and i think the onus is on the individuals that they need to be able to have this the tools that they're able to not just go with one perspective not don't just go with the, B, the bbc is you know the most trusted brand but i do think even with the bbc whether you're a journalist or not you should be looking at other media you know you should be looking at your local media as well as the bbc um as well as you know uh the guardian fox news whatever like and then you should be making your own mind up in regards to that but you need that media literacy and that's something i i think is very very important for for everybody to be aware of you know from five-year-olds all the way up to like 110 year olds i was
0: going to ask about the, the children's side of it because you know i've got a five and a seven-year-old and so i do i do think about this occasionally where they're the kind of generation after the next generation in in a way and i i wonder if i the optimist in me thinks that maybe um maybe this will have a happy ending in the sense of what they will learn or what they, what, what will be natural to them is a a more questioning mindset, which can only really be a good thing. If you don't just accept what you've been told. And I I say this to them, don't, don't just blindly accept, even what a teacher tells you, you know, check, check, check stuff. Be
1: curious
0: curious about the world, check stuff for yourself. And I, particularly my seven-year-old, I, I've started telling her that now and it's kind of, you can see her eyes open wide Really, should I, should I not just accept what a teacher says as 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 true? And you know, obviously, you do. I would be respect, careful. There. But, but, <laughs> but um, no, do your own research. Always do your own. Don't don't just believe what I say or your teacher says or, or anyone. Do your own research. I
1: Maybe, think that's key. I think what you just said in terms of having, yeah. Do you know what is really important? It's being able to respect others' opinions and being able to respect other people's perspectives. But at the same time, as you you know you're suggesting in terms of having that own um capability and to be honest with you whatever career you end up in or whatever you are doing I think curiosity is amazing it's a it's an amazing privilege as a human to be able to have that curiosity to go and like investigate something the minute you get a passion about something my lord it will open up doors you know like like I don't know I wish I was a bit more passionate about cars but I'm not because <laughs> I'm the worst driver ever but I think if I if I had the right teacher or if I had the right sort of you know mindset in that in that respect it would open up significant doors for me what I like, am passionate why cars? About, oh gosh I can't like, I hate driving and everything but you know but it would mean I would get get more places that's the other thing it could you know or maybe a bicycle even i I, you know, I'm a bit of a technical Luddite, but, you know, editorially, I'm brilliant, but there are things that I have to be like, okay, this, I'm, I just don't have any common sense around. But other things, it's like, you know, uh, wolves, like, I flipping love wolves ever since I read White Fang, like, as a kid.
0: Oh, it's a great you know. book.
1: It's amazing!
0: And The because, Call of the Wild.
1: Yes, you know, Jack London. Jack
0: London, His yeah.
1: skills as a, as a writer are absolutely brilliant, but nowadays you think, would that book be given to children because of, you know, the language level is incredibly high, but... As a kid, I read it and I was just like, that wolf is not just part of, you know, it's not just a loner wolf, but it also wants that desire of a pack. But the thing is that opened up doors, that one book opened up so many different doors for me because of the fact that I was curious to know more about wolves, about books, about, you know, X, Y, Z. So then I dabbled in children's publishing and um, so I said I dabbled with wolves and it, it like you know went and did some sort of hanging out with wolves and stuff. You know dance I love the them? animals. I, well, I probably joke. did a little dance with wolves. Um, <laughs> You know I love westerns, so I would. <laughs> but you know it's things like that. You 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 start one little thing and that level of curiosity. Who knows what it can open up? And to build to whether you're doing it through media literacy or anything, that's so super key. I think.
0: Yeah we'll come back to the wolves in a minute because it's uh that, that will be the the animal themed uh, book that we're going to talk about and um, just uh, you, you mentioned passions just now and i know one of your passions is um is journalism in the areas of kind of peace and conflict resolution and it's led to you uh, being awarded with two very prestigious fellowships um the ochberg fellowship for journalists working to report on traumatic events. I might have pronounced that wrong. And the Rotary International Peace Fellowship for your for your work focusing on on peace and conflict resolution. Can you can you talk a little bit about um what those mean to you and, and more broadly around mental health in, in in journalism in that industry because you know journalists do the reporting a lot of the time and people forget that they too may uh, may be experiencing the things that they're they're writing about. And we read a lot about mental health but um, very rarely think about some of the um, experiences that that reporters are exposed to that, that can be incredibly traumatic.
1: I mean, yeah, I'm i am very lucky, I guess, in that I've got those two um, fellowships. And at the same time, um, yeah, I worked really hard for them, <laughs> to be perfectly frank with you. Um, so with the trauma fellowship, I am not a war reporter in the sense that, you, in the traditional sense. Um, you know where it's like right i'm gonna go out in the field i'm gonna go and do xyz you know um no i'm not i am a social beat reporter the thing is when i started following the social beat as it were things were kicking off um in terms of you know we would look at a lot of footage of um of nasty stuff of, of the worst excesses of, of humanity you know and things would be unfiltered and you wouldn't have that context of i'm going out into war no 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 no. war was coming at you even though you weren't there and so vicarious trauma is um there wasn't a lot of research when i first began um as a journalist in that particular field so that it would be probably just under 10 years ago um and and now it's become very very important because it is something that does affect people so you know i have um yeah, no, I have seen beheadings. I have seen nasty things happen to children. I have uh, been exposed to uh, xenophobia and very racist comments. Um, and and if you're doing that sort of work, I think it's very important, again, to be equipped with the tools that you're uh, resilient. That's not to say that everybody doing that sort of work will, will, um, will get sick or, or have challenges. I mean, it, often it's about repeated exposure. It's about not having perhaps um, uh, tools in play to, to help you. Uh, cope etc and now there have been significant shifts in the industry to to be able to tackle that and i'm really proud to be to be part of that so with me um you know there was a point where a lot happened bearing in mind not just you don't just have work we're not just working in isolation you have a lot going on at work um the arab spring when that happened was was um was significant um you know you also have other things going on you know family staff health staff etc etc so that's the other thing is that bearing in mind you're not a robot um, and I think people forget that, that, you know, it's not just about the job. It's thinking about what else is going on with you and how much you can actually handle. And yeah, I got, I, I did get sick and I became far more aware of mental health and, and, and making sure that you're, you could retain your mental health. And what I did is I reframed and I applied for this, this fellowship in, um, in New York at Columbia university. So one of the best, uh, universities, um and we it was brilliant in that i found a tribe we're talking about tribes um i found a group of people who thought the same way i did and it wasn't just journalists we've got you know neuroscientists psychologists it's a whole collection of people who are particularly interested in how trauma operates and not just as in terms of self-care as journalists but how can we treat our contributors with care so how can we t- treat right. our interviewees with care so if, say for example um there was a school shooting um, you know you're so you're thinking of people who are potentially underage you're you're thinking about sort of sudden situations how do we deal with them with care in terms of how we approach them in that breaking news situation in terms of their safety their welfare which should always be the priority and then in terms of the story um and then again in terms of you know um being able to be part of a group because I'm very much immersed in, in the with the with the Dart Network, which is amazing. I'm an associate trainer with them now. Being involved with the Dart Network is brilliant because it means that I'm able to keep across sort of current thinking. Being um even now in this pandemic, especially is very, very interesting in terms of how are we as journalists dealing with the pandemic, how are we in our own isolation being able to cope. You know, at the moment a lot of my day job involves speaking to relatives of the of the of the um the deceased. Um, how do you deal with those tributes? How do you deal with um, the stories that are emerging where people are in a lot of raw pain considering the fact that they feel that their family members have passed away far um, in an untimely and, and in a mm. difficult manner. Dying from coronavirus, is, is it's, it's a difficult death. Um, how do we deal with that? How you, how do you deal with the thousands of stories around that? So that goes also back to that journalistic training, being able to utilize right. that and, and being able to take care. And the thing what I then found is that uh, once you embark on one path, you often find that it, it overlaps with another. And that's how for me the peace fellowship came about, in that it wasn't really hugely on my radar that I'm into peace journalism, as it were, or conflict resolution journalism. All journalism has a narrative arc and it has drama because, you know, yeah. it, it is the news, as it were. Um, and then the more you start looking into it and the more you think um perhaps bigger picture in that respect, which isn't always easy, uh, that's how I came across the Rotary um fellowship. And, and so I'm um i moved to t- they don't actually take a lot of journalists we were talking about minorities earlier i think i'm like one of two percent of um <laughs> of journalists that they have within the um the rotary peace uh, network as it were and you do see a lot of overlap you know there is interest in trauma and in terms of like how does one look after uh, oneself you have humanitarians you have people in the development field and again you've got that how do you deal with people who yeah. have been in war have been in very have lost their uh families or refugees are in difficult situations. So I went to Thailand for for that fellowship for um for a couple of months and I had to focus on a project. Mine was about the Bamiyan Buddhas of Afghanistan um, and the fact that they'd been destroyed by the Taliban and what did that actually uh, represent for the Taliban as well as uh for the wider, wider world. Um, and we went to Sri Lanka and we spoke to people about the conflict in Sri Lanka. We went to Jaffna, which not many people go to. Um, we learned about fishing in, Me- in the Mekong River and the, Ch- and the conflict between the Chinese um who are creating dams there and 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 the uh the countries below so like vietnam Laos, uh, thailand you know how they're dealing with it so there's a lot of conflict going mm, on
0: incredible experiences it was
1: it was a it was an amazing experience and to get exposure to so many different people you know that you wouldn't necessarily get exposure to
0: and right back um, to what we were talking about at the beginning about hearing hearing both sides of a yeah. of an issue or a, or a problem or an argument and genuinely listening to both sides so you can understand the perspectives
1: it's about dialogue i mean one definitely takeaway that i i i got from there it's about dialogue like whether you're you can take the subject matter of peace but if you think about that element of listening and being able to have conversations and thinking beyond the bubble as it were you can apply that to anything and i think that was really important because that then resolves um helps resolve conflict wherever you are you know um like i i I'm like lots of other people. I do have false, uh, false imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm saying that now, even though I'm talking to you and going, oh my gosh, but yeah, I've done X, Y, Z, like sometimes there's a bit of a disassociation, but there are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, can, am I capable of this? And in fact, you can get peace by having that dialogue with whether you have it from somebody else who will then say, do you know what, Dre? I believe in you. And for me, that's really important to tell people, especially the um, newer journalists, is that, you know, I've seen your body of work and I see the potential in you and I believe in you because you have that. You just need maybe a bit more experience or you need to think about xyz and even at this age with this much experience i need that same very yeah. thing i need people to say i believe in you because that gives you that push to have that win that you can then have those dialogues and you can then help change Good, help change people the way that people think
0: do you think there's do you think there's enough support for um in in, in the journalist journalism profession in terms of mental health etc et, et do you think because it's it's a it's a profession that's you know, it's so important and yet so under threat from, you know, various uh, directions. Um, And yeah, when you think about some of the, when you think about some of the experiences you can be exposed to it, it it strikes me that there's, there could be a a, a huge proportion of people doing that job who are, you know, can can be quite lonely and um, quite easy to be left on your own to face that stuff or deal with it in your experience is there is the sufficient understanding of that are the networks is the support there
1: i think it's opening up a lot more and people are more willing to be vocal about it there was an amazing report that came out very recently by um a guy called john crowley who um has he did an investigation investigation into journalism and mental health you know in covid times as it were um and it's worth the reading because he spoke to people in different bureaus. So not just looking at the Western perspective, but looking at what's going on elsewhere. And you do see that, you know, burnout is significant, that yeah. there are mental health, uh, challenges that people are, are aware of. But what I took away from that, and from the conversations that are happening, you know, cause I'm clearly having them with them. People are having them separately is that we're talking. And at one point we weren't all talking. But by being open it just means that um you know we're opening up uh, lines of communication and everybody is far more willing to discuss the fact that there are challenges happening and that we're absorb. not only are we working on, on stories as journalists if we're thinking about ourselves rather than uh, focusing on the contributors in this respect we're absorbing people's stories and we're absorbing a lot of pain mm. and we're absorbing a lot of um uh, conversation and it's that sort of being able to To take a breather from it and being able to sort of move on um but saying to others look do you know what yeah i'm i'm having a difficult time of it right now but let's all keep an eye on each other because this is the beauty of journalism i think this is relevant to this one thing i've definitely found and it's become more clearer to me especially in the pandemic we're actually generally quite kind like and we rely on the kindness of others people in in general in ju- well, in journalism, you wouldn't think it because right. you're like, but they're so, like, sceptical or they're writing things about this person or they're holding this person to account. Yes, yes, you are. But at the same time, journalists do re- – I mean, at least to say, I think she's, she, you know, she's a hero of mine. Um, she's an amazing journalist, and she wants to do this little piece about kindness and how we're so reliant on kindness. Like, if you go out to the field, you know, you rely on people uh, being kind enough to give you their stories – been kind yeah. enough to share intimate moments with you um and i think in a way that actually does rub off on a lot of journalists generally in that you know like you'll say hi can you know i'll go well we're not happening now cuz it's covid times but i know that if i went overseas somewhere like somebody would probably put me in touch with somebody else most likely a journalist that i will never met be- met before but yet will look out for me because of the fact that we have this this level of quite ki- you know kindness and looking out for each other and that's like really really cool and I think with going back to the mental health and the trauma the fact is that people are being a lot more open about it now I'm not saying that they were before because I don't wholly really think people were because it was potentially a weakness to say that you know you're struggling but people are looking out people are sharing stories people are saying can you just check in on this person like you've not, not met them before but I think they're struggling and people are willing to do that. I know that for a fact yeah. because, you know, those are conversations that I'm having.
0: Well, that, and that's a societal trend, isn't it? We've had our uh, heads in the sand for for so long around mental health issues. And it's it's good that that's, that's changing across the board. Um, that's a terrible segue. That that ostrich image that I have just conjured up (laughs) of the head in the sand is a terrible, terrible segue into what the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is your your new book, because you, you do... say
1: that but it's it's not a bad segue because we have also talked about misinformation and disinformation and ah. we do say in the book the ostrich in the sand is actually no ostriches don't do that you know it's a complete misinformation whatsoever but um but yeah it's a it's a, a myth that prevails and is now turned up in business
0: <laughs> well well so let, well let's talk about the about the book so it's called um so that people understand what uh what it is we're talking about so your, your new book is called bear markets and beyond uh a of business terms and it's a an a to z of of this right the anna the animal lexicon that we we use every day particularly within in business typically without thinking about it um from the aforementioned bear markets to the the rat race that you know is another another classic um or perhaps I should say, from alligator spreads to zebra companies, um, which are the A and the Z in the book. It's marvelous. So every every animal you've done, you've researched and found, has a, a this marvelous little story in you know uh, historical kind of story behind it. H- how did the book come about?
1: Well, it's not a bad segue again because I was um, I'd moved to the business unit for a, for some respite um, because I'd been right. working in a team where there'd been a lot of uh, challenges in terms of exposure. To, to difficult things. And I was having therapy at that time. Um, so it was a mixture of me having therapy and trying to figure out what was going on in my head um, and getting it out. So I would do a lot of drawing and sketching. That was one of the things that came out um, and then moving to a new team and in a way having a bit of false imposter syndrome, because I worked in an amazing team. I was in the BBC's business unit with some brilliant people, some of the best um, business journalists around. But they come from backgrounds of economics and you know investment banking um that huge body of knowledge i'm hired because i'm really really good at storytelling i'm really good at making the not so relatable relatable so that's my skill um and then you come in and you're like this is business and automatically business can be scary for some people if you don't think that you're involved in business that you know it's it's not perhaps for you it's not something that you've been fully across and it's like well actually i got there and there would be meetings and they'd be talking about unicorns because Facebook is a unicorn, there are yeah. other, you know, Airbnb, etc. You'd have at that point, um, you know, Philip Hammond, for example, was being discussed. Uh, Hammond is a hawk, he's a very well-known hawk. And I'd be like, this is cool because animals, you know, animals are cool. And yeah. then it would be like, I don't know what exactly is going on here.
0: <laughs> what so, are all
1: these animals what's, about? what's happening? What does this actually mean? And so then on the commute, back in the days when we'd have commutes, I'd be doing a, a double hit because you know I'm a journalist I'm efficient so I'd be sketching um to try and you know figure out um the mental health and, and making my my brain better as it were and then I'd also be thinking well actually why not sketch animals so I'd do very very rough sketches of these creatures that were beginning to pop up um in in my world in in the new world I was about to immerse myself in having come from a, a more generic background um in order to you know gain knowledge, and then. It got to a point where, where social did good and I saw on Instagram another journalist who funnily enough ended up with, works at the BBC as well, but we'd never really worked together and I liked his pictures that he was doing, and I was like, I've got an idea. <laughs> it's like, <a> crazy idea. <laughs> I messaged, I reached out to him. I still don't understand why he went, Yeah, okay. I said, We don't really know each other that well, but I've got this idea. And I really like your drawings. Now, I'm okay, I'm good at drawing, but I think you're way better when it comes to animals. So how about this? And then, you know, within the weekend, he came back and he's like, oh, actually, I found these creatures. And it turns out, you know, we're going from like maybe a couple, um, a few to it building. And you realize, hold on a minute, there's definitely something going on here that there's there are a lot of. Um, animals in business
0: absolutely everywhere. You, you don't think about it until you look at it and you realize they are peppered throughout our business language what what is it about our relationship to animals that's that's led us to using them as a linguistic tool in this way
1: i think they had just have a really strong hold on our imagination we want to have that connection with nature um you know we've never wanted to lose it you know we've got the pre- prehistoric cave paintings you're often seeing sort of like the um I was thinking of them as wildebeest, but, you know, you have like the animal creatures there that yeah. are being used as messages. Um, and even now, you know, once you start, you know, you start going down a rabbit hole, you know, oh. it's not just even in business terms, but generally yeah. like, you know, you, see, you start seeing these uh, words pop up and they're fun, you know, I think they can make dry subjects a lot more fun. And that's yeah. definitely with business. I think a lot of people find it very dry and maybe think it's not for them, but then when you boil down to it, you know, Nowadays, everybody's supposed to have a pension, you know, so therefore there's sort of going to be money matters, Um, you know, people use cash. You'll have heard of terms like cash cow, for example, yesterday, you know. Piggy banks,
0: cash cows. Exactly, exactly. It's all
1: around us. And and then for me, it was just a bit like I wanted a dummy's guide that was fun so that I wouldn't, you know, get bored, as it were, and I'd be able to keep my interest retained. And I'm like, you know, once I realized that I wasn't the only one that needed Mm. that – that's when it started to spiral a bit further and further um but that's it is, just... it is
0: a really fun book it is a really fun book and i, and I bet you could probably write a second one because i bet there are 26 other animals
1: it took four years find. though to get to this point by the way I
0: mean, <laughs> but... no, don't don't rush the second i'm going to test you though because i'm going to tell you my my three favorites from the from your book uh and i want to see if you can remember <laughs> remember the stories that you found for each of them and and explain to listeners what they are so my first is uh yeah we all know about unicorns um you know billion dollar valuated companies in in states but i discovered i learned about narwhals in your book
1: yeah
0: they're super cool
1: so they're actually the canadian version of unicorn um they're the billion dollar canadian um startups and they They're really actually quite important now. In fact, I think there's a narwhal sort of um, radar, as it were, that that sort of counts up all of the Canadian billion-dollar startups, which you wouldn't expect. The thing is, though, the guy who came up with it, I think his name's Brent Holiday, but I might have to triple-check, he didn't quite realise that the narwhal's tusk, so it's known as the unicorn of the sea, the narwhal's tusk... um, it's actually more for sort of sensory purposes rather than sort of breaking through the ice, which I think was his original right. when it happened. Um, but yeah, the novels are pretty cool, very very Canadian.
0: Uh, and my second was the shark repellent. <laughs> That's
1: such it's not, a strange not, one. <laughs> not,
0: not something you hear. Not something you hear every day in business talk. For, well, not 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 in my world. But I loved the story behind it, so you, you've got to share it.
1: So you've got like a target company, like it's, you know, um, another company or whatever wants to do a takeover bid for this target. And what the target company then does is deploy shark repellent tactics. So that could involve like negotiations, sticking a clause in to make it make that particular company seem um, not a good piece of bait. That's what what they use in the fishing world. Um, And so that's that's basically what she, I mean you'll have heard of a loan shark so we're yeah. just basically going one step further what's also really interesting is and we put that in the book as well is that you've got um killer bees and they're more about the actual people involved that are doing very very similar things but they'll there you'll have like the lawyers or whatever so you've got killer bees and shark repellents uh hanging around each other which is a strange <laughs> image to be perfectly frank with you <laughs>
0: it's brilliant I love I love that yeah because we know about we think about loan sharks and that that kind of predatory behavior but I loved the I loved the fact that you know in certain circles in finance people are talking about the shark repellent the tactics we can use to repel the repel those actions it's brilliant um and then my 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 third favorite one which is i hadn't heard before but i'm now going to use it all the time (laughs) oh no (laughs) is a purple squirrel
1: yes so this this is is more in hr right yeah this is more in recruitment circles. so this is like a mythical creature because have you really seen a purple squirrel I mean, unless it's like a red or grey one that's eating like loads of berries or something, I'm not highly convinced. Um, and it is the ideal candidate. So it's the one that ticks every single box, you know, in those um, adverts and stuff. Um, and if you get it, then ding, 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 you've got a purple squirrel. But then I'm a, I'm a little bit sceptical about it because I'm, if you get the purple squirrel, how do you know that they're going to be able to evolve, which is what you need to have in a role? But that's just my take on it. So yeah, what we've done for the image for the for that one is... um it's a superhero it's a superhero yeah. purple squirrel because it's uh like this this is the perfect candidate ever we haven't yet come up with a soundtrack for that one but you know maybe we will
0: i want to find see i want to find purple squirrels because this is uh I want to hire purple squirrels
1: well Sounds that amazing. that is the recruitment word for it so <laughs> what is
0: your what's your favorite one what was your favorite one that you um you
1: researched um in terms of, I mean, my favourite one is always going to be the wolf because, like, I have a, a bias there. I can't, like, not say that. Um, and, you know, you've got the wolf um, economy, which is what Mongolia is calling itself because it's trying to be quite brave and there's a lot of money coming in mi- in, in mining. Um, so what,
0: what's the wolf, what's a wolf economy?
1: Mongolia. So, you know, you have, like, tiger economy. Uh, there are, oh, I see. There right. are discussions yeah, yeah. around tiger economies. The lion economies relate to African countries. So the wolf economy is the name that Mongolia would quite uh-huh. like to... To, stick, to to be known by apparently um so i really like that um but i also like the history of the piggy bank uh, yeah. when we found out that, that out because it's so simple and everyone um most people will will know what piggy bank is will have had one perhaps from when they were younger um and that goes back to i think like 1450 or something um and it refers to you know the word pig which was the name for an earthenware pot and it was only then you then get the shape of the pig when they started creating them you know in artsy artsy ways later on which i thought
0: was quite fun the, yeah, you know, the really word cute. was around first it's it's a it's a really it's a really fun read as i say and i i recommend it to everyone for a uh, lovely christmas present um it'll arm you with some fabulous insights about the financial jungle that's synonymous with the modern world um duty our kind of time is up but that was uh, it was really really great to talk to you thank you for your time thank you Uh, And to everyone listening, if you enjoy our podcast, please do hit subscribe and share. That's really appreciated. I've been Stuart, and uh, this has been Do Not Adjust Your Focus.